Welcome to Thanks for the Memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 23, Philadelphia from 1993. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and with us tonight, Mike, to talk about the first of two back-to-back Academy Award-winning films for Mr. Tom Hanks, we have Brian Late Night Rodriguez. Hello, Brian. Hello. I mean, arguably... I'm the Academy Award winner of the Cage Club Podcast Network, so... How would you argue that? A counselor, explain it to me like I was four years old. <laughs> explain how you are the Academy Award winner of this podcast network. Well, there aren't actually awards, but if they were, I would put myself up for some nominations. Such as? Best Supporting Guest Host for my work on Third Time's a Charm. <laughs> yeah. Sustained? <laughs> an unofficial co-host over there. Sustained? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It just sounded right at the time. No, I, I just wanted uh, I wanted you to back it up. I mean, we are in court. You know, I, I sustained. I didn't overrule. I just wanted to hear your the why. So we are here to talk about Philadelphia, a film that I had never seen before today. Had either of you seen this before? I had seen it once in its entirety, maybe like a decade ago, I guess, like around 05, 06 or something. Um, I, this, we have had this on VHS in my house, like ever since it came out, but I had never watched it. I, I mean, we just had it because we had a lot of like Oscar movies and just like popular films and stuff. But um, yeah, I watched it on VHS uh, like a decade ago, and then I just rewatched it for the show the other night. So that's it, just twice for me. And Brian, what about you? I've seen it a bunch of times. This is one of the first, like, adult movies I watched. Obviously, we all watch kids' movies, but then it's like, oh, let me let me watch a drama when I'm a kid, and this is like... Sure. So I've known this movie, like, for, for forever. Now, obviously, I didn't see it in the theaters or anything like that, but probably late 90s, first time I saw it, and I, I've seen it from time to time since. Now, what I thought was kind of fascinating, and this is just a on, on a very personal level, is that I knew what this movie was about. I knew that this was a movie in which Tom Hanks gets AIDS, and that I, like, I knew the, the very basic premise of it. But almost everything else about this movie, I would have guessed incorrectly. Like, that is a courtroom drama? Like, I had forgotten how it's, like, a few good men, almost. Like, and, and that now I think I like courtroom dramas. Like, they're all yeah. so, so much different than I thought they were. One of my notes that I took was at the 40-minute mark when we're already in the courtroom. I was like, is this movie going to be two-thirds in a courtroom? Like, I'm on board. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. let's do this. Like, I think I knew that Denzel was in there. I did not realize that this was... It feels more like a Denzel movie than it does a Tom Hanks movie. Tom Hanks is obviously great in this movie. He won the Academy Award for this. I don't dispute or think that he shouldn't have, but he kind of... I don't want to see Denzel's better than him, but Denzel is doing way, way more. But, like, Tom Hanks is still top build, and he still is the best lead actor. And I feel like it's kind of, not incorrect, but just, it, it made me sort of question, you know, not that the Oscars are uh, infallible, but it just it's sort of strange to think that this is a Tom Hanks movie, when it really kind of feels like a uh, Denzel movie. Yeah, I love Denzel in this so much. Like, he's such a strong performer, and I'd forgotten. And I think part of it might be is that we are so keyed into Hanks that, like, we just may not notice. Like, he's, I think they're pretty evenly split. Like, this movie is a half and half, I think. But, like, we might be noticing Denzel more because he's new here. Like, he's really popping. Like, he almost steals this movie almost and he's got a really powerful performance and everything but yeah like I I love what everyone's doing here but he for me like really got me uh, energized the other thing that I got I would have gotten incorrect about this movie is that for some reason I was under the impression that Tom Hanks was not gay in this movie that he contracted AIDS he contracted HIV through some other method and I thought that that was kind of gonna be in a sense like I thought his story would be the, the story of the woman that they called to the stand who had HIV who was not fired because she was sort of open about it the one who got the who got HIV for the blood transfusion and I don't know why I thought that but you know reading more about it after I watched the movie and you know reading into the trivia and reading into the the sort of the reception the backlash and the, you know the positives and the negatives of this I didn't realize, I don't think, that this was kind of like, this is like a hallmark, landmark uh, gay film that is both important but also kind of criticized by the gay community for not necessarily being completely accurate. So I think there's a lot to unpack here. But Mike, if you want to hit us first with the uh, the plot summary of, a, I think, a relatively straightforward movie. I forget every time we're doing the plot summaries now, but I got this. No problem. Go for it. Tom Hanks is like a really high profile lawyer. He's like pretty young in a group of like older gentlemen that are like running this law firm and he's being groomed. He's definitely being groomed, but he also has HIV. And when his firm finds out about that, they fire him. And he goes to Denzel Washington, who is kind of just like, you know, one of those 
lawyers you see on TV and you don't, you know, an ambulance chaser. I used to tease my brother, the lawyer, about that. He's a real Saul Goodman type. Yeah, he kind of is, like a better call Saul at one point. But he goes to him and he takes Tom Hanks's case and together they fight and win. And uh, just in time, because like uh, uh, right as soon as they get the verdict, uh, Tom Hanks passes away. And uh, But they win before he dies. And yeah, it's, it's pretty heavy, man. Uh, <laughs> but that's the gist of it, I'd say. Yeah. I think the one other thing to point out is that Denzel Washington is not really fully on board that Tom Hanks goes to him. He's the ninth lawyer he goes to. And Denzel says no. And then only when he sees Tom Hanks being discriminated against by that, you know, the librarian, that's when he kind of sympathizes a little bit. But even still through that, he is still kind of outwardly homophobic. Uh, he, he gay bashes a little bit, like he uses, you know, slurs and stuff. Like he's not this bastion of goodness. I think by the end, he is more sympathetic to the plight of the gay man, especially the gay man in early 90s where, you know, it's truly, you know, not, you know, not that any of us have any direct experience. There. I feel I also feel like having three straight dudes talk about this movie is not necessarily <laughs> the most reflective panel of experts, quote unquote experts, but not that like today is a great time to be gay, but, you know, compared to 26 years ago, we've come a long way. Or at least have like you know hiv gay or not right like people were just dropping left and right and yes no survival rate like even in the mid 90s so like that has come so far because like there's a stat and just to sidetrack for a second there's a stat that was kind of refuted a little bit but it's not wildly inaccurate that there's something like 53 gay men who are performers in this movie in some regard either as background actors or sort of more featured players or whatever and within a few years like people said within a year but it was actually closer to a few years within a few years of this coming out more than 40 of them had died and that's just a staggering number. I think it's indicative of a time, but I, I just want to make it clear to anybody who has not seen this movie, and it's on Netflix. If you want to watch this movie, you can go see it on Netflix, that Denzel is not, like, a good guy. He just kind of, like, he goes home and he just, like, talks shit on gay guys, you know, to his wife. And he's using he's using the hard F a lot, and, like, it's uh, it's it's it feels real, but it's also, like, wow, okay, okay. It, it's tough to watch at times. Yeah, it's heavy. It doesn't shy away or stray from the way people were actually thinking back then. And, and you know, we reflect upon a lot of this now in the films that we watch from this era and beforehand and are just like, how could, you know, that's the way it was. Like, it's just amazing. Not what was acceptable, but just what was being said, I guess, in public and stuff. And I, I really, I mean, I wish Denzel's journey in this was a little more clear cut because I wanted to know when he was actually on his side or when he was just chasing the paper. You know, like at, at first it just feels like oh this is going to be a high profile case but then at some point at the end at least i feel like he's overcome that sort of prejudice or something or what you know like he's changed like i feel like there's a genuine understanding between them there so i feel like that is is a little could have been a little clearer but it is it, it's it's heavy all around man like it's this is not, this was not an easy movie for me to watch and joey i'm going to contradict you a little bit as saying this is was an important movie in the gay community and Okay, yes it was, but I think where this stands the test of time is how important it is in the straight community. Sure. Like, this is the first eyes into that kind of community. Um, And does it come off as an after-school special sometimes? Maybe. And in terms of, like, the backlash, it's gone back and forth. It was, like, really praised when it came out, and then, like, it really went through the runner. Kind of like what Forrest Gump is going through now. Oops, can't talk about that yet. But now I think people are more and more understanding, okay, so this is just a very important film for the time it came out in. My mother is someone who was in New York in the 80s working. She had co-workers who were, like, dying of AIDS left and right. And for her, this was a very important film because it's like, oh, okay. And the Denzel thing, it's so weird to watch now, and it's like, oh my god. But that's really, that was the eyes of, like, 90% of the straight population at the time. That is 100% like what they felt. That's where I don't exactly know, and because I was five when this movie came out, and I am not as well-versed in the history of the gay community as I should be, and it's 26 years later, and I just don't really have the articulation, the insight into a lot of this feels like it could be real. A lot of it feels, I think, like you're saying, like kind of like an after-school special, and I think it kind of bridges the gap between a lot of different types of ways that you can look at this movie or create this movie, and I think to a certain extent, and it's still being, it's still happening, I think, today in different types of film, different, you know, representations of different communities, that you kind of, unfortunately, have to make a few sacrifices or whatever, however you want to phrase it, to get the movie to be made on a mainstream budget, right? Like, you can't really have a mainstream Hollywood film two years after the director makes Silence of the Lambs, like, one of the most 
you know, well-regarded and highest-profile films of all time, you know, starring a up-and-coming stars, you know, starring two up-and-coming stars, really. Like, to get all of this, the budget, the names, the actors, the director, all of that, I think you kind of need to hedge your bets a little bit, unfortunately. That's what I was trying to figure out, trying to suss out through the entire movie, is how much of this was genuine and a real reflection of the time and the sentiment and the moods, and how much was kind of, this is what people think it is because it's going to make it a little bit more palatable for mainstream. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be, like, offensive in any way. Like, I think you need to make concessions sometimes to have a movie like this, because, like, to tell the important story, you kind of have to, like, neutralize it or neuter it a little bit. Well, as far as I know, Jonathan Demi is a straight man, right? So, automatically, this is through the filter of a straight man eyes, you know? So, like, it's never really going to be as inside baseball as it wants to be. And I always feel like it's sort of 50-50 again. It's like, you, you know, the committee is in charge here, but they know that this is going to be like Oscar bait, like back in the day. Like, this is going to yeah. be a big, important project. Like, we want to do it right uh, and carefully, but, like, we also, it's also a mainstream Hollywood movie starring two huge stars and, like, all this other nonsense. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's still, it's still like a business movie. It's not just an art film. So, like, they, like you're saying, Joy, like they have to make concessions they may not get everything right they, they're they're eyeballing a few of the facts or details or things and they definitely have a better handle on the straight community than the gay community because those are just the people making the movie you know like it would be terrific if there was more behind the scenes involvement from the homosexual community in this film but i mean just that you know even today it's it's hard to get those kinds of films made by people yeah. in those positions and stuff so like just imagine like if this is the best they could do at the time i think they did a really good job brian i want you to tell me like before we get into our favorite and least favorite moments and all that good stuff here like what about this movie is it just the performances like what about this movie brings you back time after time like you said you've seen it a bunch you saw it like this one of the first maybe it's just the memories of seeing an adult film when you were younger but like this doesn't feel like the kind of movie that i really want to watch again but like what about this encourage you to sign up for it what has brought you back to watch it more than once you know what about this movie and i guess this could also kind of transition to your you know your favorite part of the movie like what about this do you love I mean, it is the performances. I mean, and you said besides the performances, but I mean, come on. If this was acted by crappy people, it would be that kind of after-school special, but it has a great director and great actors. I mean, that's really important to me. I love Tom Hanks. That's why I'm on this show. I also like AIDS movies. Not like like them, I enjoy them, you know, but I'm in very interested in the history of this disease that was such an important part of recent history and how the story is told and like i said this is a really really important building block in i don't know what it's called in film but in um history it's called historiography like if you look at a biography or or, or something written in the back it'll show where did uh the author research from, you know? Not really a bibliography, but like what books they took from. Like this is so important in in terms of if you're building a catalog of, for lack of a better word, AIDS films and how that story is told, this is one of the most important films. And, and just to touch on what you guys were saying that too, I'm sure there were artsy AIDS films at the time made by people in the gay community, but those weren't being watched by mainstream America. In fact, I'm sure they were turning away from them. Is this film perfect? No, but again, this is just a landmark film. So what about this do you like more than anything else? I mean, I know you said Tom Hanks, but like, what if you had to pick a favorite part, a favorite moment, scene, line, memory of this movie, what would you say is your favorite part of Philadelphia? Which I know is a very difficult, because it's not the kind of a movie, it's not like a movie where like, I really like that part where he died of AIDS. Right, right. No, it's not like Denzel is chasing anybody in this movie with a gun, right? Like, it's like you usually see him. <laughs> yeah, and it's not It's not like, it. I mean, Denzel's got some good moments, but it's not like at the end of Man on Fire, he's like, I wish you had more time. It's like, yeah, fuck yeah, Denzel, let's do that. But like here, just like, oh yeah, him calling that guy like a hard F, like that's a, that's not my favorite moment, I can tell you that much. I mean, I do like some of those moments though, like I do like, I mean, not that, again, I enjoy it, but I think it was, I think it was pretty indicative again of the time. Like, it's funny, but it's interesting, I guess is the way to say it. Like they have to tell the straight American audience that you don't have to look gay to be gay. You know, I find that interesting. Like, it's not great, but uh, but I find it interesting that, like, I'm thinking about how this movie is being viewed at the time while I'm watching it. I'm not necessarily watching it just for the story, because I know the story already. I'm thinking about someone sitting in a writer's room and writing it and being like, huh, well, we don't want them to think this, so let's do put a character in like this, like the law student he runs into at the pharmacy or whatever. That kind of stuff is just interesting to me. One of my favorite moments, though, and... 
Honestly, and this is sacrilege to some people, I'm not a Bruce Springsteen fan, but this is one of my two favorite Bruce Springsteen songs. And the other one is a Tom Tom Club song, too, the one from uh, uh, Jerry Maguire. So I love that the synergy in this, these two Springsteen soundtrack songs. We also do, just on the real quick, and I know, Mike, you have a thought to say, but on the real quick thought of synergy, uh, at one point in here when the, the I think the lead juror is talking about his, his pilot metaphor, he's like, no, I'm going to put my top gun in that pilot. It's like, hell yeah, you are. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, no, I didn't want to jump the gun or anything, but I think that song might be my least favorite thing about this movie. I like, love it's it. the one thing, I remember it so much from when this came out and all the hoopla about it and Springsteen, and I mean, I'm not going to say I think Springsteen's overrated or anything like that, but yeah it just i just couldn't it was depressing enough and then i just did not like that song the academy award winning yeah. song streets Whatever. of philadelphia and golden globe award so he apparently wrote tunnel of love and then jonathan demi uh, rejected that and then re- had them had him rewrite different themes and such for streets of philadelphia but yeah academy award winning song mike that you are disliking it's so such a sign of the times i love soundtracks i love soundtrack songs it's so depressing it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it just really sticks out to me well it's the perfect tone and and he's yeah. the perfect guy to do it like this is this is all like this is I could see Springsteen doing a whole album like this and you know but like he had to rock it up if you listen to his lyrics they are like this hometown sort of struggle stuff so it fits I'll say that this is the era too where like when when they commission a soundtrack they are playing that in the background a bunch of times so it's funny oh yeah it becomes part of the score almost it's like a theme variation you gotta get your money's worth on. yeah <laughs> All right, Mike, so if that's one of your least favorite parts, what is, what is your favorite part of this movie? What do you really like about this movie? Okay, so I love the cinematography of this. So Tak Fujimoto, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. This is Jonathan Demme's cinematographer since forever. And he shot the John Adams series. If you've ever seen that, it's just incredible. Like, he is just great. And what I love about their style together is like, you know, and you see this a lot, I think, in The Silence of the Lambs, and he sort of tapered off a little bit after this movie. But the use of the shot, like the use of close-ups, and the use of perspective and I just really feel like he's able to switch gears and get inside other characters heads very quickly by using camera perspective and things like that and so there's just so many great close-ups in this my first note is that Jonathan Demi really loves a close-up <laughs> like I rewatched part of the Silence of the Lambs a couple months ago and I was like oh like this entire movie is just like uncomfortable close-ups putting you in the in the mind of those characters and I and I feel like it works here because he wants you to be uncomfortable, like not not just like Denzel's uncomfortable, but also like Hanks is uncomfortable. Like everybody is uncomfortable in this movie, right? Like no matter what, from one way or the other. And I think that helps sort of psychologically offset the viewer, or at least it helped me be like, wow, like I'm I'm really being drawn attention to the way that this movie's shot, and it's sort of thrown throwing me off, and it's not quite reality, but it, it's very grounded, and and so like I just really enjoyed watching the cinematography of it's been a while i feel since it's really something like that's really jumped out at me in like a modern film per se Uh, a lot of modern films i don't know i feel like they try to be too flashy when they're flashy and like this isn't necessarily flash it's just style and i think it it married really well with the content here so i'm gonna go with that yeah i think because i mean it is like a very intimate film it's an intimate story it's the story of one man i mean it's also jeffrey bauer is the is the guy who that this was actually based upon his his you know wrongful termination his lawsuit so it is a very personal and how do you reflect that in the camera work is yeah just the the up close in your face nature of it i think that's a great point mike one of my favorite moments was when denzel serves papers uh to charles whittier when they're at the basketball game and dr j comes in and he's you know just you know glad handing just like hey guys how's it going how's it going how's it going and then denzel just like brushes by the security guard he's like it's only gonna take a minute he's like you've been served oh dr j if you ever need a lawyer here you go like wrong <laughs> you know you slip and fall or whatever just like still hustling there and then just says see you in court and he just walks out I'm like that's so cool like that's like the denzel moment you know what i mean like, that's the you know that's the him like just like, you know, flexing those acting muscles, but also just the power muscles, the, the the manliness muscles, or whatever the the Denzel charm, the Denzel thing that he's come to be known for. Yeah, just that smile. That hey, like, yeah. like every time someone does a Denzel impression, I feel like they're always doing like him kind of laughing, like like you can't resist <laughs> me. <laughs> One other moment that I really liked because. I really like Mary Steenburgen, and I have never seen her in something before that I didn't like her in, like her character. Like, I'm always on her side or whatever. And here, I was 
just so disappointed in her as like the kind of the lead one of the co-lead lawyer you know prosecute or defend defense attorney um for the for the law firm and i was just like god damn it like you are dis- you're failing me mary seen virgin like i love you and you're failing me and then after she pulls the mirror trick the mirror stunt and she goes back she turns to her co-counsel and she just says i hate this case and you can tell that she is it's her job to do this and she's going to do it the best she can, but she's not a monster that she like hates what she's doing. She, she hates like the, the circus that she has to, to, to pull here to, to sort of, you know, this isn't like, it's the theatrics of it. Like, can you, can you show me? Like, if I was looking at you, like, I can't tell you're gay or, you know, like, like all that kind of stuff. Apparently what I was reading was that that was something that was not in the script that Jonathan Demi and she were talking about uh, how to sort of humanize her. And she was saying to, you know, other actors on set, how much she like hated playing this character because she, just hated being the such a villain and he's like well use that like say that like make her more than just this one-dimensional like enemy like say that you hate the case and i thought that was a really kind of great moment especially seeing it in the movie like i think that that is great but then kind of knowing the backstory and knowing the the look inside the actor's mind or whatever uh, i think that's also it makes it even better yeah that's a good call i I like that moment a lot too because like i'm watching that oj show on netflix right now that was on fx uh like a year or two ago juice and and it's like (laughs) like nobody has any qualms about trying to get juice off you know and i just want one character with a moral quandary of like is maybe juice isn't like maybe we shouldn't be doing but no like everyone on his team is just like like we're getting juice off eventually schwimmer as kardashian definitely feels that okay all right i'm not sure i'm there yet but like spoiler alert but you're gonna be okay mike i'm saying you're gonna be okay it's just like it's such a small little moment you can sneak in there that says that speaks volumes you know and it was put in here perfectly so on the, on the flip side of the coin brian what about this movie do you not like i mean aside from the obviously the homophobia like this taking aside the character flaws that are intentional to this plot what about this movie as a movie do you not like is there something about here that you that sort of sticks out that you don't like revisiting like what about this do you not like I, while watching it this time, I was kind of disappointed that this is not actually based on a true story. You mentioned that Bowers case. There was another case that they uh, took some notes from. But, like, there's so many real true stories, especially at this time, that I don't know if they had to make one up. That's a little weird. But, yeah, I guess there's that. There's a lot of this movie that's not necessarily I hate, but it's stuff that I continue to go back and forth and question. Um, There are a lot of stereotypes and i've tried to look into this try to see like how do people want to be portrayed like here like the gay community and there's a lot of people who criticize like antonio banderas's character for being very stereotypical and then there was a big movement after this and after a couple films in this era to try to go opposite of that but then i've heard criticisms like when you sterilize it too much you lose what like gay culture actually is so watching it this time i actually didn't mind his performance i wish they were like more intimate at times because you just kind of see like pecks on the cheek and stuff well there was stuff with that that apparently was cut out that the studio did not watch in the movie so that was that was originally in there that they were more intimate that they were more i don't know if it was sexual or they were just they were closer more affectionate to be sure yeah because it definitely felt like despite like again i think he actually like does a great performance but I just would have liked to see them seem more like a couple rather than... It it felt very, like, digestible gay culture, which, again, I get it, but it was a little weird. I don't know. I I also feel like, on the one hand, you have Antonio Banderas, and he may, maybe, I don't know, not for me, I didn't notice it, but, like, people may think he's going too far, but then you have the point of Denzel running into the guy at the at the store, you know, and it's like, hey, not everybody is the same. Like, you know, like we don't all act the same. Not all not all straight people act the same. Like, you know, it's so I, I see what you're saying. I wish the movie made a better point about it, but I feel like it tried to sort of balance itself in that direction. Yeah, I mean, the fact that those scenes were cut probably would solve my issue there. <laughs> Can I tell you something I remember that I do like? Yes, of course. I actually, especially on this watch, really like the fact that, kind of opposite to what you thought the movie might have been, Joey, but I like the fact that he got AIDS, it was, you know, essentially his fault, quote-unquote, I mean, no no one's fault ever. Well, he has it when the movie starts, right? Yes. Which I also, yeah, which I was sort of surprised. I thought that this was going to be a movie where he contracts it and then has to deal with it. Because I'm not sure if he starts with HIV and then it becomes AIDS. I, like, I, that's the one thing, Well, too. a lot of time passes in this movie. Mm-hmm. So, it, like, I agree. Like, I'm not sure where that happens either, Mike. But, like, I don't know that's necessarily important 
important. Like one of the first scenes is him in the in the clinic, right, getting a blood test, yeah. and him calling his mom. And I was just like, "Wait, is he already? Wait, what?" I, I feel like if you don't know what this movie is about, like if you go in this movie like really cold, like you think it's a documentary about Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the I don't know. Like I feel like you w- you wouldn't know for kind of for a while. You sort of need a little bit of backstory, like you need even like the one sentence logline because they do slow play it, which I think works, but it's also like as some, like, without really knowing what it's about. It's like, wait, is he here? He already. Wait, what? Well, someone at the time would have known right away when he's having the conversation with the mother and they're talking about the T-cell count and the names of the medication. Like, that that was buzzword news at the time. So today, it's, like, a little bit harder to figure out. But at the time, they would have been filled in right away. Like, oh, he definitely has AIDS. Also, all the patients in that room, it's clearly an AIDS clinic. He started to get the sores, which is not, you know, something that's very common today. But at the time, that was, like, the telltale sign of the later stages of AIDS. I forgot what the exact disease is called. I have it here. Hold on. So Andrew Beckett, Tom Hanks' character, dies from acute CMV, which is cytomegalovirus. A common cause of death in acute AIDS patients is lesions were called by, are caused by Kaposi's sarcoma, also common in AIDS patients at the time. It was a very, very, very rare disease before like the AIDS epidemic that started appearing and people were like what the hell so like that was one of the first like things in the news like why are these gay men getting this rare disease that only like random people got in one place on earth ever so i think again i think at the time a lot of those like wait what's going on would have been solved right away because you used to go on this according to like someone like my mother again who was living in the city and working during this time like you used to be on the subway and, and see people who look just like I mean, maybe not Tom Hanks, because he's obviously made up, but they used, as you mentioned, actual people who had HIV and AIDS in the film. And that was just like, a, unfortunately and sadly, a very common uh, look at the time. So, I, you know, within context, that makes sense. Oh, but I w- what I was going to say was, again, I liked that it was his quote-unquote fault, that it wasn't that he had a blood transfusion. It wasn't that, like, a, a partner gave it... A part, someone did give it to him, but, like, they make it clear that, like, it was him... It was promiscuous sex, like in a porn house, right? Like he went to like a club or something, or a theater, I think. Well, I don't know. I mean, he did that, but I don't know if that's where he got it from, though, right? Oh, no. But, uh, okay, so on the stand, they ask if he has ever visited there. I just, I sort of assume that Yeah, because earlier, like, when they're in the basketball, they're in the, you know, the tunnels underneath the NBA arena. They're just talking about, like, well, what other gay hotspots do we know he's been to? Like, how can we make him look bad? Like, has he ever had, you know, sex with a strange man in this place or this place or this place? Like, I think that's just sort of demonizing him that, like, oh, as an upstanding citizen, as a straight man, I would never go have sex with a stranger in in a in a porn theater like of course not but you clearly you know, like it's just like i think it's that like it might have happened there but it, again it doesn't it's unspecific they're just trying to like defame him <laughs> yeah like he just you know was kind of living his life yeah yeah and i liked that though like not that they were doing that you know what i mean i liked that he wasn't like a saint he wasn't like the perfect guy that we're just supposed to of course we feel bad for him of course but he is just someone living his life like anyone else I don't know, gave another layer. Like, that took it down from the after-school special, which I liked, that he wasn't just this perfect lawyer who happened to get AIDS and, you know, because that wouldn't have been... There's no stakes in that, almost. Right, because they're trying to change, like, a precedent here, you know? Like, they're trying to change points of view and, and society, like, morals and standards, and everything, like, mores, and right? But this case, like, and, and, and I hear what you're saying, it's too bad that this wasn't, now that I think about it, I agree, I wish it was more based, more of a real case, but if it has to be an amalgam of them, that's fine. But I, I, I like the point of the film, though, because you're right, they're, they're, he's trying to change, like, the prejudice and the standard, and, you know, this is an important case, and if he was a straight man that just contracted it through a transfusion, there, yeah, it would have, it would not have the meaning that it does. So, uh, and it would not be as profound. Yeah, like a, an early AIDS movie is called The Ryan White Story, which was a TV movie, and that was like really what got a lot of people like talking and about like the AIDS thing. But The Ryan White Story is about like a little boy who contracts it, I believe, through like a, oh, it's a he- hemophiliac. So he contracts it through that, um, I believe, in like a blood transfusion or something along those lines. So, and that movie was more saying, look, it's not just the gays that get AIDS, guys. It's everybody, you know? And I'm not criticizing that because it's true. Well, I think that's also what this movie does with the woman who gets it from the transfusion, right? Like, it's just, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, and they try to, as you see in this movie, the defense tries to be like, this is a good one, you know? But I think that was put in here because of the Ryan White story. 
Okay. You know? What year was that movie? 89. Oh, okay. Okay. So that, like, yeah, there are people like this. Yeah, they are innocent. And how, you know how she starts saying, how am I different than him? I don't see it. I forgot her exact words, but it's really, like, nice, you know? Like, just because he's a gay man who contracted it this way, and I'm someone who contracted it in a blood transfusion, I don't see myself different than him. We're both sufferers of this disease. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't have a ton of screen time, but I think she's really one of the most sympathetic characters because she's really up there. She's trying. You know what I mean? Like, she's trying to do right by him and by the people who are afflicted with this disease, and she's just trying to, like, tell her story in a a way that can defend him and just she just looks defeated by the way the defense twists her words to fit their narrative right and like it's heartbreaking to see her up there you know another woman who obviously did not again like you know that should not have to deal with this but because she lost too much blood while giving birth she got a transfusion she got aids so on and so forth and it just you know she just looks so beaten down by the system because all she wants to do is help and make sure you know this guy that you know whether she's friends with him or just knows him or knows of him or whatever you know that he gets his fair due and it's just it's it's heartbreaking yeah it's one, one of the most powerful uh you know scenes in the movie yeah i, I really love the, that type of moment where it's almost like uh the defense kind of backfires but not exactly. It's like they put this woman on the stand um, and everything she's like saying is good for them. But the way she's saying it is kind of bad, like her expressions and her demeanor and like her meaning behind it and all that kind of thing. And it's like, I don't know, it's great. It just because it, it just reminds you of sort of the conundrum going on here. It's like she's a prop by them being used. And yet she also is a person going through the same types of experience with this disease and stuff and so the double standard and the bias and all that kind of stuff comes to the surface in this moment uh, again but all together you know because she's a straight woman he's a gay man like all all of the themes i feel like kind of are converging uh, around this moment too so so Mike, if you had to pick a least favorite moment what about this movie i mean aside from the bruce springsteen song oh okay what about this movie uh <laughs> it does not work well for you what, what about this movie would you change or swap out or alter in some way it's tough. Like, um, I feel like it's really well crafted. I feel like it, it's got a really tight script going on. And like the things I don't like about it, I, I'm like not really supposed to like about it, right? Like the things that are offending me are there intentionally. And, and I think that's making it a stronger movie. Uh, but what really kind of got me, and again, I've only seen this movie twice, so I don't have like the best like grip on it exactly. But uh, I uh, I don't think the passage of time is is shown very well or like in a in a paid attention to in the manner that it may have should have been i think we get some title cards from time to time yeah there's a bunch of title cards there's a bunch of title cards that's the th- I, I don't know i couldn't really keep track of seasons years times months and things like that and ultimately it, it's i guess it doesn't matter but i feel like it would have given it more of an impact we do go to a halloween party like i thought that was a nice touch right like that was what i was talking about i was like oh cool like did we celebrate christmas i can't you know it's things like that like i wanted all the kind of this was supposed to be going on for a long time i didn't really feel like it was going on for a long time and and so like that's my that's kind of like my only gripe about it right now is like and i feel like that's kind of a big thing directorially but i understand how much other shit was probably on their mind making this movie and all the concessions they had to make to the studios and all the things they wanted to get and the time and this and that and all that so like I, I could see how it sort of got maybe like just not uh, as actualized as I would have liked it so like that's that's pretty much the only thing while I was watching it this time you know if I had to pick a least favorite moment I think other than like maybe what we've talked about let me see if there's anything else like I think I think in terms of the time early on in the movie I like the rapid pace I like the, the the quickening I liked the the frenetic energy that this seemed to have like it felt like it was rocketing through to some end game and goal and date you know what I mean like I felt like there was an excitement here and then I feel kind of like you feel like that as it went on it kind of it lost a little bit of the clarity perhaps mm-hmm. in when things were happening but I, I do want to say that I think early on it worked or at least it was exciting to me that I thought this might be like a slower moving kind of movie and it felt like for a while we're like we're getting toward where we need to go and I thought that that worked well early on I also think early on there's a real dreamlike quality to a lot of this and you don't know exactly like everything's real but it's all kind of twisted and warped and i think there's something nice in a way about that like something that this is not like you sort of question things right like it's don't just accept things like think about things use critical thinking use analysis sort of dig deeper and try to make sense of what's going on here 
I don't know if there's anything else about this movie that I don't like that we haven't already said. Oh, I've thought of one thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's not that I dislike it, but I thought it was kind of, now that we we're, we were talking about this movie and how, you know, it, it does come across as a little hallmark, I don't want to hallmarky, whatever, like that. Like, okay, so I feel like when Hanks and Denzel have that scene in the beginning, Right. And they're in the elevator together and they're just two people in law world passing in the wind. Yep. I wish that kind of had more significance. Like, I wish we found out that Hanks was waiting to go to Denzel, like he was putting it off or something like he didn't want to have to resort to that because it doesn't seem that way. It seems like almost like they were friends or something like I don't know. I could have maybe even if we didn't need that scene in the opening. And again, it's not something I hate. It's just something I, I watch in this movie. like, oh, they already met like they know each other or something or like are they colleagues like it just made me a little more confused that when they re-meet they're not more friendly and you know he doesn't understand like oh he didn't know you have a like it that kind of threw me i'll piggyback off that for a second because i was confused i was like is this a flash forward like it kind of felt like is this what they're working toward because i knew that they're you know they were in this together in some regard but no it's just like they worked together they were in on the same case once and i think it's just there to establish there was a history but i think it's strange and what you're saying mike that there's not more to it like it's not like not there really could be less of setting up a relationship but like it, it should be either i think less or more because i feel like the at least maybe putting it first in the movie kind of sets it up as this sort of how do you want to say it false importance kind of it's like oh there's meaning here there's significance to this and it doesn't necessarily have meaning other than just they know each other yeah it's just they're both lawyers <laughs> but like we also see in the movie that like when hanks is walking through the clinic i think we see denzel on tv and i think i mean i guess this could also kind of be the thing where maybe this is actually how the the real story was or whatever right but i think there would also be kind of something not necessarily comical to the fact but that he has exhausted all of his options he has gone to every quote-unquote real lawyer they've all said no for one reason or another and maybe we see that too like I, I don't want to necessarily make this movie too much longer because i think it works at the length that it is but maybe show him going other places and have like a quick montage of why people are saying no and then he sees a bench ad or a billboard ad or the tv commercial and it's just like well shit like i guess i'll try this guy and then even he says no you know what i mean like i think there could be something to like I don't know if he's going to Denzel because he respects him or if he's the last option or because he thinks he can do it. Like, I don't know the why of that. And I think that's also what you're saying. Like, I want kind of an explanation of what actually is, like, what the thought process is, why he's in Denzel's office. Did he go to other people after Denzel or is he going to take the case himself? Like, is he in that, the law library studying so that he can defend himself? Like, I don't know where in the... I, I think I agree. The, the, the TLDR is like, I want more clarity or less clarity in the beginning, kind of, with his relationship with Denzel. Like, why is this the way that it is? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can agree with that. Though I think it's pretty clear that he was going to defend himself because, you know, he's like, what he says that line along the lines of like, oh, I'm a pretty good lawyer. Uh, but it, I think it was out of last resort. I think MTV, though, would disagree with you guys in terms of, I don't know, are you not liking the, the duo of Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks? Did this win an MTV VMA? No, it was nominated for Best... This is, which feels so inappropriate. <laughs> Let me see. Best on-screen duo, Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington. All right, 93, you got Tom Hanks and Denzel. You got Wayne Knight and the T-Rex. Wayne and Garth, <laughs> probably. There's another Hanks film that's Best on-screen duo, which is Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks in Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, of course. Yeah, we mentioned last episode that in the Golden Globes, which he won the Best Actor Drama for, he was nominated for both drama and comedy. Like, he could have won both, which, which is... Which would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> Who are the other duos? So the winner was Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones from The Fugitive. Oh, my um, God. Which, again, is not really a duo. Like, I no, guess it's it like... would be like Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith from Men in Black. There's yeah, that's more of a duo, yeah. Okay, but keep going. Yep. Mary Stewart Masterson and Johnny Depp from Benny and June. Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington from Philadelphia. Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks from Fleetless in Seattle. And Dana Carvey and Mike Myers from Wayne's World 2. Oh, boy, what a weird category, man. All right, I will mention the other things that Philadelphia was nominated for at the MTV Movie Awards. Okay. Oh, there was more? Yes. Best Kiss? No. <laughs> God. Tom Hanks won for Philadelphia Best Male Performance. Thank you, teenagers. Um, okay. Whoa. He beat Tom Cruise, your other boy, in The Firm. For The Firm, yeah. yeah. Okay. Another law movie the same year. Wow. Rough year for MTV. 
Harrison Ford the Fugitive, Val Kilmer for Tombstone, and Robin Williams, Mrs. Doubtfire. Robin Williams lost? How did Mrs. Doubtfire not win for the teens? Like, how was that? Especially, yeah, MTV. While we were on the topic of awards, um, this is the, the most recent time, I think, that two actors who won back-to-back acting awards were in the same movie together. Hanks won for This and Forrest Gump, and Jason Robards won for All the President's Men and Julia. He won Best Supporting Actor for both of those. So this is like two, you know, kind of heavy-hitting actors in the same movie, because that doesn't happen too often as it is back-to-back years, and then for two of them to be in the same movie, even, you know, even less common. Uh, You know who else I saw in this movie is a cameo by Roger Corman himself. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask that. I saw his name in the title sequence. I'm like, Corman strikes again? Explain. Who was he? So he was, if I'm not mistaken on the stand, he was the guy Denzel was like, was he a good lawyer? Did he win your case? And he was like, he was an adequate lawyer. He was like, all right. And he was like, you wrote that he was like the best lawyer in the world or whatever. Surprised and delighted. Yeah, and he just sits there sort of on the stand stone-faced, and then later there's a flashback scene where Tom Hanks is talking about like some of the jokes he overheard at the country club or something, and, and he tells a horrible, horrible joke that is just terrible. But there he is, he's in the movie. I mean, he gave he gave Jonathan Demme his, his start, so um, this was sort of like a little thank you, I guess. Some other quick trivia before we play a couple games, which feel it feels like a, a wildly inappropriate way to wrap up a podcast about this. <laughs> the home videos that they're watching at the end are actually of Tom Hanks as a child, so that's oh, why it nice. kind of looked like young Tom Hanks because it was Tom. It's hard to see through the tears. Tom Hanks lost 26 pounds uh, to play this role. Denzel was asked to gain a couple pounds to play this role, and he apparently taunted Tom Hanks by eating candy bars directly in front of him. <laughs> um, Hanks is going to lose a lot of weight again for that. Uh, shipwreck movie with the with the um, castaway castaway and yeah. gain a lot of weight for that one the movie was filmed in order which i think is kind of important for a, a narrative like this and especially the physical transformation that tom hanks is going through for like this originally jonathan demi wanted a comedic actor in the denzel part he reached out to or considered reaching out to bill murray or robin williams uh, but denzel wanted to play the part and he always wanted to work with denzel so he went with denzel there it would be very strange if Denz, if the Denzel character wasn't a black guy. Like, I feel like that adds such a dimension. So he was originally written as an Italian-American. John Leguizamo turned down the part of Miguel to do Super Mario Brothers instead, which... Uh, oh, champion. Champion choice right there. Right. To get drunk on set with Bob Hoskins for a month. I agree with that choice. Jonathan Demme originally wanted Daniel Day-Lewis in the Tom Hanks part. He turned it down to do In the Name of the Father instead. Uh, Michael Keaton was the second choice. He turned it down to make My Life instead. Oh, Um, that's a great movie. And that was a movie where he was terminally ill, uh, but he had cancer in that movie. So there we go. I love all those parts that they turned it down to. Like, should I take the AIDS movie or the terminally ill movie? Or, or or am I going to be locked in prison, you know? The Holocaust film, like, <laughs> exactly. Jeez. They also considered casting an all-male adult film star, like a gay movie star, uh, Jerry Kelly, to give it a little bit more authenticity. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that Soderbergh would do. You know what I mean? Like, oh, uh, yeah. Has cast done. Actually, I mean, yeah, Sasha Gray has been the star of more than one movie, or at least one movie of his, right? Girlfriend Experience. Yep. And I think that's everything I've got trivia-wise. But there's a, there's a lot of interesting things to read about this, especially, I think, to the backlash and to the you know people not necessarily loving it the way that they were supposed to, or like the gay community, for instance. Many gay publications had quite a few issues. Out Magazine said it was, quote, maddeningly closeted. There was a lack of dimensionality in the film's gay characters. Many gay viewers felt that Jonathan Demme missed an opportunity to accurately portray someone's experience living with AIDS. Gay activist and playwright Larry Kramer described the film as, quote, dishonest, and, quote, simply not good enough, also, quote, often politically, legally, and medically inaccurate. And I think that kind of comes back to what we were saying before about kind of sort of needing to make concessions to get this movie made at all, which is unfortunate, but, you know, if it's if it's really, truly true to life, it might be too real for, you know, anti-woke America in 1993 to watch. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of those criticisms are unfair at all. It's funny because uh, Larry Kramer of course, wrote the play, and then it turned into an HBO movie, uh, The Normal Heart, that Ryan Murphy directed that starred Mark Ruffalo. So if you if you guys out there want to hear or see the Larry Kramer take on this, go watch The Normal Heart on HBO. I really enjoyed it. I don't know how many MTV um, awards it was nominated for. Ruffalo, I think, won, yeah, he won a SAG award for it. I don't know if he won an Emmy. He was nominated for an Emmy, but he didn't win. The movie won uh, the Emmy for Best Television Movie, The Normal Heart. So I recommend it. 
If we imagined the movie Philadelphia starring Tom Cruise, uh, would this work? I think so. You know what part of it is to me? Any top-notch actor, like any actor of this caliber, which I think Hanks is now of this caliber, and like this proves it, um, and I think Cruise has been there. If he made it after like Eyes Wide Shut and maybe before Magnolia or something, I don't know. I think he could pull this off, though. He tries to do something like not like this, but he tries to go like in a weird, different direction from what people are used to seeing him in with that Vanilla Sky. So I think this would have been a sort of same type of move where it's like, I'm going to go do something where it's not like I'm good, like a vanity thing where I'm good looking. Like I want to go try and do something important or something, but I think he can do it. I think what's interesting, and this is something that Brian reminded me of when he was reading the MTV Movie Awards, was the same year that this comes out, Tom Cruise plays a lawyer in the firm and not only a lawyer, and I, I don't want to make this comparison, but I, I, I kind of want to say it, is by the end of that, remember how, like, disheveled and unhealthy he looks? And yes. I feel like there's, like, the physical transformation, and I know it's not due to an illness, but rather stress and paranoia, and I know it's a completely different type of transformation, but I feel like that going from kind of man who has it all, seemingly has it all, to someone fighting against the system, in a courtroom, nonetheless, like, he literally does the same thing that year, not necessarily to the acclaim or the extent of this movie, but I think that I would tend to agree with you that I think he could probably do it because he's, you know, say 60% of the way there, and we know that it's in him to kind of take that next leap, right? So, Brian, what about you? Do you think that Tom Cruise could do this? I think he could. I definitely like it better with Hanks, because I think, not that Cruise doesn't do it, but Hanks, I think, does Vulnerable a little bit better. But I think he could, for all the reasons you said, too. He played a disabled person in Born on the Fourth of July, right? I'm not comparing the two, but um, yeah, you're right about the firm as well. It's not like he hasn't done this. It's more up the Hanks alley, but I could see him doing it for sure. Yeah, okay. Is there another part in this movie that you think he would be better at than the Tom Hanks role? I think he could have done, and not that it would have been better than Denzel, but I think he could have done the Denzel role. I like it better as a black man. I like it better as Denzel. But I think he could have done that too. I could see him like, you know, being a hotshot ambulance chaser. That's a little of um, you can't handle the truth. A few, a few good men. He's he's such a confident, hotshot prick lawyer in that movie, you know. And he's just got the sway and the swagger that I think Denzel is like kind of the same way that he's got it. But I guess like you pick up with like just that charisma, like Johnny Cochran had it. You know what I mean? Like there's just people who can just have it, and they're you know you can't question it. Man, you're really on that OJ horse, huh? <laughs> All right. So very important question, uh, and I don't know what the answer is here. Does does Tom Hanks do anything in this movie that sets him on the road to becoming America's dad? In the movie? Hmm. So we're trying to track his journey from... I mean, we didn't think... We didn't have this thesis statement when we began. We had the question. But basically going from, like... 80s goofball wacky actor in like dumb kind of bro comedies to basically becoming named America's dad. Does he do anything in this movie? I feel like the answer is no, but it's not because of him as much as the type of movie that he's in. Like I feel like it is in terms of thematically or on an importance level or however you want to phrase it, he is closer to the type of movies he will be known for. But I don't know that this that anything in here really has him becoming more of a family man. Unless no, wait, better hold on. He is trying to improve the future for future generations. See, that's where I was going to go, is like he fights the system and that kind of thing, but you're, he doesn't have any kids, he, all that, it, like it's nothing, it's nothing direct, it's nothing like imparted to like an actual character or anything like that, but just by his actions and, and his virtue, you know, like he becomes the kind of man that you would be, you know, I guess you'd be proud if he was your dad, right? Like yeah. he, he fucking stood up for what he believed yeah. in and he won against all odds. All right. So I want to be clear, we like, as America, we like our dad. We don't have dad issues. <laughs> what? I mean, <laughs> we like Tom Hanks as our dad. We like yeah, America's that's... dad. Okay. Just wanted to make that clear. In the very early seasons of Never Not Funny, Jimmy Pardo is trying to get uh, his nickname as America's hair dad rolling, and it's not its not quite catching on in the same way. Uh, but every time I think of America's dad, I also think now of America's hair dad, and uh, just wanted to share that with both of you. All right, for the Woodies, the Tom Hanks Awards, best film, worst film, do we want to nominate this for best film? 
I mean, Joey, now's the time we got to start making hard decisions because we're in the streak. We're, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're in the lane of, like, good shit only for a while, for the most part. We can add it for now. Like, I feel like, you know, the Money Pit and the Burbs and Big might not make the cut in the end. Isn't that amazing that Big isn't going to make the cut? And Like, I never would have imagined growing up that Big wouldn't be on, like, my top Hanks list, but, like, it... I don't think it's gonna. I don't know. So best film, we'll say for now, Philadelphia. Best Hank's role, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you guys have to be crazy, like, not to at least have this in the conversation. I mean, even MTV nominated. (laughs) What's his name? Andrew Beckett? Yes. Best ensemble, I'm going to say no, just because it kind of feels like most of the movie, it's kind of two people, right? Like, it's just, it's Hanks and Denzel, and, like, everybody else, like, on a much lower tier. Hanks does not get into a fight, like, an actual physical altercation in this movie. Does not dance a party scene. Wait, 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 wait. He dances with his uh, IV, right? He does to the opera? Isn't that what I'm thinking? Oh, yeah. yeah. He also does a slow dance with Antonio Banderas. Well, I'll do the... Uh... Oh, that's it. The Banderas one, too. Yeah. But yeah. I will I will say, no, I like the uh, operatic dance with the IV. And then the lights get all crazy. Like, that was a trippy moment. Best party scene? Well, Denzel coming. What did he come as again? <laughs> a lawsuit. He's a lawsuit. Mm, it's okay. I like I like when that, that one gay guy is like hitting on him. He's like, do I know you? He's like, yeah, Mona Lisa. Like, duh. Like, that's not what, that's not the question I'm asking, but like, I appreciate the answer. I don't want to nominate that for best party scene because I feel like it didn't, like, I feel like the, the, the reason that it existed was not to be a party scene. It was just kind of like yes. to get in there and sort of have him in that kind of world, that environment. And ultimately to go over what they were going to say in court, right? Like, he's like, this is the only time I can catch you. Like, we have to go over this by tonight. So I almost feel like it was a last-ditch effort by Denzel to get a couple hours or, like, a half hour with Hanks, you know, or something, just in private, to go over some work. Best Hanks outfit wardrobe, I'm going to say no. Best death, uh... Hold on about the best thing, though. <laughs> oh, my God. He hasn't died yet. I mean, I'm just saying. Damn, I was not quick enough. I wanted to say something about his uh, best wardrobe, but, and now it's totally dumb. He dressed up like a captain, and he's going to be a Captain Phillips at some point. And, and he's also going to be uh, Sully, so that's also yes. a type of captain. Does he going to play Captain Crunch one day? That'd be cool. I'm going to say from CMV in Philadelphia. We've we got to catalog the deaths. Best line or best freakout? Uh, I think maybe one of the more iconic, or maybe just the one that I've, I've, I've seen before, I've heard before, uh, his, excuse me, am I being fired? Um, I don't know if that's worthy of best line, but uh, that was one that sort of stuck out to me. Is there, is there something in here that you think we should nominate for best line? Oh, wait, 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 wait. I don't know if I want to nominate it for this, but when Denzel says, what happened to your face? Like when he first comes into his office and he's just joking around, he's like, what happened to your face? And he just goes, I have AIDS. And Denzel's like, ah, shit. Like I shouldn't, uh, I feel bad now. That's a moment. All right, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that I'm gonna, I'm gonna nominate uh, what happened to your face. Oh, I thought it was the only things Hank said because I would say you know explain it to me like I'm a fifth grader. Oh yeah, no, it is, but I'm just saying what happened to your face. I have AIDS. Oh, okay, because so, it's part of that one. Best soundtrack theme score. I'm gonna say no because yes. uh, Mike might lose his mind. <laughs> okay, no timeout. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I think you should first of all you got to put it in there. I'm not the barometer, you know what I'm saying? I'm just one one guy. You're not the barometer until it comes to interview with a vampire and you won't you won't say no. Well, no, Bill, that's <laughs> interview. I mean, that's a whole different story now. I mean, that's not a song, that's a whole movie. <laughs> this did lose the MTV Movie Award that year for best song. <laughs> to what? What one? So here are the nominees. I'm going to go I'm going to do the winner last. This is so good. I want to go. Can I watch this anywhere tonight <laughs> on YouTube? Some of them are topical to you. At least one other one. Uh, Celine Dion and Clive Griffin's When I Fall in Love from Sleepless in Seattle. Bruce Springsteen, Streets of Philadelphia. The Proclaimers, I'm going to be, you know, 500 Miles from Benny and June. Good song. UB40s Can't Help Falling in Love from a movie called Silver. Oh, with uh, Sharon Stone. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then one of Kyle's favorite, All for Love, from The Three Musketeers by Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting. But the winner that year was Michael Jackson's Will You Be There from the movie Free Willy. Oh, no will, you, will you be there? <laughs> so, Mike, I've got uh, good news and bad news. Bad news is that it does not look like you can watch this on YouTube. The 1992 VMAs are uploaded more than once on here. There are a lot of clips from 1993, but I don't think the entire ceremony is on YouTube. So I think you can probably piece together most of the ceremony, but not all in one swell, one, one fell swoop. Wait, this was the 94 VMAs, though. The last one I actually watched was 97, I think. Was that the Fiona Apple one? I think that's the last one where she, like, won, and she's like, this, everything here, this whole world, it's bullshit. 
it's bullshit, it's not <laughs> real, it's fake, and she, like, walks off stage with her That's award awesome. or something. So if you go on YouTube and search 1994 VMAs, there are, there's a 13-video playlist, there's the opening, there's Aerosmith performing Walk This Way, there's Warren G and Nate Dogg, there's Disarm by the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, so it's like the performance. Oh, wait, 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 yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's, but it's not the VMAs, though, it's the movie awards. Oh, MTV... They're like popcorns and stuff. I've been conflating those all night. All right, hold on. 1994 MTV Movie Awards commercial. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that I there's... It. It's, not the, it's not the end of the world. I got to Moj to finish watching. <laughs> no, sorry to disappoint. Best or worst love story? I'm going to say no. Like, it could have been him and Antonio Banderas, but I just don't feel like there's enough attention paid to it on I purpose. mean, it almost it could have been him and Denzel. It's, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. But they never really even... They just about form a friendship by the end of this, I'd say. I don't know that this necessarily qualifies here. It does in a sense, and that's why I'm asking, do we want to nominate this for most badass role for Tom Hanks? Like, I think what he does is courageous and badass, but I don't know that that necessarily really embodies what we had in mind. I also don't know that Tom Hanks is going to have badass roles, and I feel like we are probably going to cut this category. Well, I don't know. I feel like Castaway might win that uh, now that I think about it. Or I mean, even even Sully is kind of badass. Pretty I mean, badass th- to land th- the plane th- on the Hudson. Sh- down the line, we're probably getting. I think in uh, Cloud Atlas, he's definitely a badass in a couple of his. Uh, uh, what's the one with Leonardo DiCaprio? Catch me if you can. Yeah, he's a badass agent in that. So then, on second thought, do you want to nominate this or no? I don't think this quite makes the mark, though. Okay. I hear what you mean. Like, it's. It, the role is, but like, I don't know. I feel like the category is more action oriented for some reason, or. I don't know. Hard to say. Brian, thoughts? I think there's going to be more, some more badass stuff. I think he does a badass thing, but I, I agree with you. I, th- I don't think that's the in the spirit of the original category's intention. And then final categories, best non-Hanks actor, male or female. we got to say Denzel Washington as Joe Denzel. Miller. Yeah, absolutely. Bradley Whitford. I do like Bradley Whitford. I like Anna Devere Smith, who plays his... Uh, she's the one on the stand who... Uh, is basically characterizes them as racist for saying her African earrings. I love her. She was in Nurse Jackie. She was the uh, proprietor, the, the 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 head of the hospital in Nurse Jackie. I loved her. Uh, there's a lot of good actors in this in this movie. I noticed there's um there's another guy, the guy who played the Colonel in Boogie Nights, is one of the guys who like runs the firm with Jason Robards, and, and Jason Robards is in Magnolia. So I was getting like a lot of this PTA crossover type of like vibe going on with this movie as far as like actors and stuff is concerned but like man he's i can't get him out of like i can't get him as the colonel out of my head so like i knew he was like gonna be a slime ball in this movie like a real jerk robert ridgely is his name from teaneck new jersey Ooh, hey brian do you have any other thoughts about philadelphia before we wrap up and say farewell to you and then mike and i come back for forrest gump in two weeks I don't know, I just this entire time that Springsteen song has been in my head, and it's just, you know, it, it's getting to me in a good way. Let me check my notes. Nope, I'm good. Mike, what about you? Any other last thoughts about Philadelphia? I mean, maybe I've been a little too hard on the boss, Bruce Springsteen, there for a minute and stuff. I don't know, but, like, honestly, it just felt like designed for a movie kind of song. It would have been maybe if they found a song that already existed. I don't know. But you can't win an award if you find a song. Yeah, that's true. Well, next week, Mike, we have uh, Minority Report over on our Cruise Club feed. That's going to be very exciting. And then in two weeks, we've got Forrest Gump with our uh, with our buddy. We've got two on there, but, uh, you know, somebody who's been on both of our podcasts on this one and on Brian's podcast, High School Summer Party, uh, Walt Hickey is going to be on our Forrest Gump episode. So a movie that I'm not looking forward to. Like, this is a two-stretch. Like, I understand that this is all good Hanks movies. I was sort of dreading this one because of the weight, the, the, the content. I enjoyed it much more than I thought I was going to. I am not looking forward to rewatching Forrest Gump. Two weeks, Forrest Gump. I mean, it's the back-to-back Oscars. We've got to give it the respect it's due and just kind of go from there. You know what I mean? Guess so. But Brian, thank you so much for joining us. I don't know. I think this is your, your final, this is your farewell TomTom appearance. Oh, unfortunately. But you could get plenty of Brian as my unofficial co-host over on Third Times of Charm. You yeah. Go check him out over there. And on my show, High School Slumber Party, the week you release You Got Mail, I will also be doing my You've Got Mail recap. So listen to, to this show, but also listen to my take on You've Got Mail, whatever week that is. Is that going to be like in the beginning? I mean, what movie is that going to be for? I don't know. Maybe it might be right in the middle, like hidden. You might get the record scratch and then... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I think I missed something. You're going to review You've Got Mail on your show? Yeah, because you didn't let me review it on your show. 
And I love that movie. Come on, it's just some promo work, just some synergy in the network. It's going to... Feb 7, 2020, uh, the, the Friday after the Super Bowl, tune into High School Slumber Party for You've Got Mail? Well, no, it's not the full episode, and I think I'll probably do it the week after so I can listen to yours and be like, that was a bullshit take, guys. Here's the real story of You've I don't Got know. Mail. I, you might be surprised. I think I'm going to like it. Yeah, it's just that that movie like is like my everyday commute. So, no, but I can't wait till you guys cover that. And goodbye, Tom Tom Club. Do you have a name for your listeners? No, we don't have a name for the listeners. Damn. Well, goodbye, people who like Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. You can listen to me on High School Slumber Party. But, Brian, thank you so much for joining us and for joining us on all of these fine Tom Tom Club podcasts uh, over these past few months. Both these actors are still alive. I can still be on the show another time. It's all I'm saying, okay? I don't want to leave. You keep trying to kick me out. I don't want to go. For all things, thanks for the memories. You go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Come back next week on our Cruise Club feed for Minority Report. Check out last week's episode of Vanilla Sky. Abre los ojos. And come back in two weeks for Forrest Gump when we talk about podcasting being like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Brian Late Night Rodriguez of the High School Slumber Party, and now I guess Third Time to Charm, and also PSA Love Hoffman Podcast. And we'll see you next time, right here on Hanks for the Memories. I was bruised and battered, I couldn't tell what I felt. I was unrecognizable to myself. I saw my reflection in a window and didn't know my own face, so brother, Gonna leave me wasting away on the streets of Philadelphia. I have a case.